You're listening to A Journey with Chris and American English. Hello, episode 10, The Difficulties of Pronunciation. Welcome back. I hope that you've had a great weekend. You've been able to relax, unwind, and you are now ready for a brand new week and a brand new Monday. Last week, we touched on the concept of a standard American language, standard American English, if you will. This week, I want to focus more on pronunciation. Now, this podcast is geared towards American English, but think of these as precepts, guidelines, tips, rules that can apply to, well, any spoken language. I want to also include some ways that you can improve your listening and improve your speaking at the same time. With that being said, let's begin. To start off with, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is pronunciation so difficult? Not just for English, but in general. Well. Let's take a look at a language that I really adore, Japanese. Japanese has a pure vowel system, so it consists of five basic vowels, a, i, e, o, u. And while I didn't pronounce those perfectly, a Japanese person will more or less understand them. And these vowels do not change within Japanese. So no matter where an a occurs in Japanese, it'll always be the same. So whether it is at the beginning of a word, at the end of a word, or in the middle of the word, its value as, its phonetic value as a vowel does not change whatsoever. Now, this concept isn't necessarily beholden to Japanese. So other languages like German, Spanish, Russian, etc. A lot of these languages have very strict rules about how to pronounce certain sounds in certain contexts. English seems to be the odd man out from what I've heard from a lot of speakers, and I have to agree with them. When I read an English text, it's not that I'm reading the words, but I'm reading the pronunciation that I have basically memorized. Written English doesn't really provide us with any clear rule on how to pronounce it. This is due to the fact that English has what's called a historic spelling. So this means that English spelling reflects how English was spoken 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago. This historic spelling is somewhat of a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. On the one hand we are able to reconstruct old pronunciations of old stages of the language. So, for example, how did people speak in the Middle Ages? How did Old English sound? Etc. That's the good part. But the downside of it is there's no way to find out the modern pronunciation of a word. There have been attempts to reform spelling, but they've kind of all failed. To reform English spelling at this point would be such a Herculean task, it's probably, I guess you could say, impossible, basically, and it's just not worth it. There's nothing left to do with just live with this system, but there is a way around it, and I'll tell you about that now.
the International Phonetic Alphabet, IPA. English is not the only language that has a historic spelling system. You can probably think of another language. It's a very famous one, and it happens to be one I speak. This language is, of course, French. French is also known for having a very quirky, weird writing system. The fact that you don't pronounce a lot of sounds or the way you pronounce a word is a lot different than the way it's written. The same as English. However, there is a fundamental difference between the American, British, and French system. And that is the French system, while it is a bit irregular, it is much more logical and it's more internally consistent. What does that mean? Well, that basically means that even though you might not pronounce a word the way it's written, you have a certain set of characters that when they appear, they're always pronounced that way. So if you take, for example, the word, or sorry, if you take, for example, the sound A, this can be written as E-R, A-I, A-I-S, E with an accent, etc. So there are plenty of ways to write this sound. However, whenever these words appear, you'll always know how to pronounce them because they'll always have that letter combination. This, however, doesn't actually apply to English, so it's often very confusing and people don't know how to pronounce a word, and words can often change depending on their function. So if a word is, for example, a verb, it could be pronounced one way if a verb or if a word is a noun, it can be pronounced in a different way. Take the word produce. So if you create something, you would say, I produce something. If it is a noun, you do not say produce, you say produce. And in this case, the word is written exactly the same. The only difference is in the way we pronounce it. This was a huge problem for British and French speakers in the 1800s. They were basically trying to spread their language, they were trying to create language schools, but they found out that it was incredibly difficult to teach people proper pronunciation for exactly this reason. Their writing systems, while they do work, are incredibly inefficient in transmitting sound, or sorry, transmitting or recording sound, basically, because there are so many irregularities. The question is, how do we get around this? How do we find a way to teach people proper pronunciation, to teach people proper accent. And the solution that they came up with was to create a whole new alphabet, to create a whole new writing system. This is referred to as IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet. The International Phonetic Alphabet is probably the single greatest invention with respect to learning how to pronounce a language. And why is that? With each language, there is a unique writing system. This basically means that no two languages can be written the same way. And while, yes, we do have the Latin alphabet, for example, and that's used in many different languages, whether they're related or not, the values of the sounds are not always the same. One might be a bit louder, one might be a bit shorter, one might be a bit longer, etc., so there's no way to use the Latin alphabet to represent 
proper pronunciation. Learning how to read and write using the International Phonetic Alphabet will help you to improve your accent greatly. This alphabet is somewhat technical because of the fact that it includes a lot of sounds that might not occur in your native language, or it uses a lot of symbols that you aren't actually familiar with, and that's okay. It took me a while to get used to this alphabet for just that reason. However, you don't need to know all the symbols. I don't know them off the top of my head either. If I had to guess, I think there are somewhere around 100 symbols that represent all the basic sounds that can be created within human language because we're all human. So it doesn't matter if you're from China, from South Africa, from Korea, we're all still human. So everyone is capable of producing every single sound. That is what the International Phonetic Alphabet is made for. So I would suggest that you try learning how to use this alphabet. You try learning how to read this alphabet, and I'll tell you why. The pitfalls of a writing system. There's this famous example that was created in the 1800s, and forgive me for not knowing who it was, but basically the word is goatee. G-H-O-T-I. And it's not actually an English word. The word was created to show how absurd English writing is. And it goes like this. If you take the G-H, the G-H is pronounced as a F, as in enough or tough. If you take the O, it is pronounced as uh, as in women. And if you take the T-I, it is pronounced as sh, as in nation or motion. And do, do you understand where I'm going with this? The word is not goatee, it's fish. So the person tried to create the word fish using a different spelling system, basically. I guess saying a different spelling system probably isn't being accurate. He was trying to use a creative way to write English, basically. This illustrates the fundamental flaw with using a writing system to be able to reproduce spoken speech, which is why I implore you to avoid using the writing system with respect to pronunciation because they are always two different things and they should be treated as two different things as well. If you are unsure as to how you can or should pronounce a certain word, go to wiktionary.com or wiktionary.org, sometimes it's a bit different, and type in the word that you would like to pronounce. So let's take the word fish, for example, relatively easy. So if you type in the word fish on wiktionary, it'll give you the phonetic transcript and it will also give you the pronunciation of the word as an audio file and usually in different varieties. So British, American, Irish, Australian, etc. If you take a word that is a bit more complex, like independence or journey, it will also give you the phonetic transcription of this word. Practice this. Practice learning how to transcribe English phonetically. 
that will allow you to internalize the sounds of of American English basically or if British English or if any language that you're studying you should learn to internalize sounds not words because words can betray you a good practice would basically be to find a text whether it's written or whether it's spoken and transcribe the words as you have learned them I had to do this for my studies for English and for linguistics so for phonology and phonetics this was a fun practice. I still like doing it, and it really helped me to improve my French, my German, and also my Japanese. So please try doing some transcription. I promise you it'll be worth it, and you'll have a lot of fun, even if it is a bit of work. Tip of last week. The myth of fluency. Last week, I touched upon the myth of fluency. So the fact that we shouldn't really classify people as being fluent, and we should be skeptical of people who claim to be fluent in all kinds of languages. One word that I often hear is the word perfection. You speak English perfectly because it's your native language, or you speak German perfectly because you've been learning it for over 15 years or you speak French perfectly because you studied it at the university. And I always have to say, no, I don't speak English perfectly. I don't speak German perfectly. I don't speak French perfectly. I don't think anyone speaks perfectly. Everyone has a different idea of perfection, whether that's for languages, whether that's for your personality, whether that's for the way you conduct yourself in daily life, whether that's for your partner. Perfection is such a fickle word. It's incredibly hard to define. It's incredibly hard to nail down. It's incredibly difficult to give it a form, basically. It's also so incredibly vague because it can mean so many things to so many people. And for that reason, I think the word is completely meaningless. And if a word is meaningless, it is also useless. So let's just throw out the word perfection, perfect, flawless out the window. Now, why do I think that fluency is a myth? Fluency means so many things to so many different people. A lot of people have this idea that if you are fluent, you are perfect, which means you can do absolutely everything in your language without a mistake, right away, without thinking, nothing is beyond your ability. And think about that for a second. Is there something in your native language that you can't do? Linguistically speaking, of course. I know that in English, there are things I can't talk about or I have no idea about. Rocket science, physics, geology. And while yes, I do have a basic understanding of those areas, I am by no means perfect. And were an expert to come to me and talk to me using their knowledge of that area, I'd be completely lost. So with that respect, no, I'm not perfect. But I don't think anyone is. I don't think that we should be perfect. There, there are a lot of these YouTube polyglots who claim to be able to speak three, four, five, ten, sometimes 20 languages. And they're kind of playing fast and loose with the word speak. What does that even mean? 
to be able to speak a language. That phrase is about as meaningful or meaningless as the word perfection. I guess if we're talking about to be able to speak a language, then we should say to be able to conduct yourself in a manner that is understandable, that is meaningful, that allows you to have enjoyable communication with another person. With respect to that definition, I do believe that I speak English, German, French, and Japanese. But a lot of these speakers really just learn scripts or they learn some phrases by heart and then they go on YouTube or they create a podcast and they basically pretend as if they're masters of these languages, that they know absolutely everything about them. So be extremely careful of these people. Be extremely careful of people who say, you can learn Italian in seven days or how I learned Spanish in two months because they're also playing fast and loose with the term learn. If it means to learn basic Italian, sure, I can learn basic Italian in a week or two. That's not really that difficult. But the question is, is that impressive? And the answer to that, I believe, is no, it's really not impressive to learn basic Italian in two weeks or in three weeks. To sum this all up, don't be influenced too much by these people who claim that you can achieve perfection, you can achieve fluency, you can achieve mastery of a language within an insanely short amount of time of like seven days or two months or three months. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's incredibly difficult and it cheapens the people or rather it cheapens the experience of people who have been learning a language for an incredibly long amount of time or of people who might not have that much time or just need a bit more time. So please keep that in mind when you are watching these videos on YouTube of these so-called language experts or polyglots. Hey, if you've made it this far in the podcast, then obviously you want to hear a new expression and I'll give it to you. The expression of today is, don't let the door hit you on the way out. This is one of my favorite expressions, and it's one of the expressions that I've used a lot in my life. Basically, this means that if someone wants to leave, then they should leave without deliberation. They should leave without having to think about it. This expression comes from a time when doors had hinges that would automatically shut them. Now, this is still true in a lot of places. For example, if you go to the supermarket or if you go to an office, these doors have springs. So if you open a door, it'll close automatically. And the thinking was someone would walk out the door, they would turn around and look at you. And while looking at you, the door would basically slowly close shut. And if someone is mad at you, and they tell you to leave, they might say, don't let the door hit you on the way out, which basically implies you should just go and don't think about coming back. But I won't say that to you. I do hope that you come back. I also hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, 
please feel free to send me an email. Otherwise, I hope that you enjoy your week and I hope you'll come back for more. All right, take care and enjoy the rest of your day.